you know, I, I think back to times when I would be at churches, giving my testimony, and moms would come up and say, why you and not my kid? Why did God save you and not save my kid? And the only thing that I could do is say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I wish that I had a better answer, but I don't. And God's plan is God's plan. And his purpose is his purpose and his timing is his timing. And so regardless of how difficult it is for any one of us in any one of those processes, he's good enough to trust. Hey everyone, welcome. Welcome, welcome to Wife Like Me. We are so looking forward to this conversation. I'm selfishly looking forward to this conversation because I met Emma. How many years ago, Emma, was that? I think it was two, maybe three. I think two. Yeah, two or three years ago. Emma is a rock star worship. I don't even know. Worship leader. I don't know all the things. She sings the guitar. I see guitar. I don't have the drums. Okay, why is there a guitar behind you? Uh, my husband plays guitar. Nice. Okay, I was like, what? what? Awesome. So um, she's incredible. And she helped lead worship at our awakening event. And so that's how I knew and know Emma. And ever since then, just briefly, I'm like, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your story. So here we are, finally. I don't know Emma's whole story, but we're going to hear it. And I know it's going to be encouraging. And just excited to have you on. Thank you for taking time. Emma is like starting a new job tomorrow. So this is like (laughs) probably 50 million things that you you could be doing. So thank you for being with us. (laughs) Um, why don't you just introduce yourself to us so that we kind of get to know who you are? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my new job that is tomorrow, I'll be the operations manager for a wholesale flooring company. Um, but first and foremost, I'm a wife. Um, my husband's name is Dan, and we have a little boy named Oliver. So I get to be a mom, and it's such a blessing. And so he keeps us really busy, as I'm sure those of you who have kids know and understand what that's like. Um, but my husband is the youth pastor at our church. And so we've actually been serving with the youth um, for five years together. He was serving six or seven years. And um, the last two years, he's officially been the, the youth pastor. So we love the youth. We love the young adults at our church. We spend a lot of time with them. We uh, open our house to them weekly, actually. We have different groups of young adults that come over on Thursdays. And so we kind of pour into them. Um and I I lead worship. So I, I play drums with the youth group, the high school youth group band. Um, and then I, I lead worship on the weekends. And um, it, it can be a bit of a commitment at times. And so I've kind of cut back to about once a month. But um, I love singing and playing. And um, yeah, it's, it's a blast. So mm, Awesome. And how many years have you and your husband been together? Um, this November will be six. So we're, we're five, married for five years. So. Awesome. Awesome. And so um, you have a story of recovery. Your husband has a story of recovery. Would you mind just sharing some of that with us, however much you want, like maybe what um, life was like before sobriety for both of you and maybe what, what your path was to finding sobriety? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Uh, loaded question for both of us, but um, I'll, I'll start with my story. So um, when I was eight years old, I was sexually abused by my dad. 
And um, he got very sick when I was 10. And so my mom started working full time and having to, you know, provide for our family. And so she wasn't around a ton. And so I think there's just that part of me that resented her without even knowing what that was. And as a 10 year old, you don't realize you either can take the responsibility of caring for your sick dad or be a kid. And obviously as an adult, it's like, you should be a kid, right? Um, but there wasn't that option for me at the time that I realized. And so um, I have three older brothers, my two oldest brothers are my half brothers, and they didn't live with us growing up, but I have one full brother and he struggled with some depression and things like that. And so, um, you know, you just feel kind of alone in those moments. And, you know, even though we had each other, it was still like we were alone. And um, my mom did everything she could to provide for us and make sure that we had a good, healthy home. And um, my dad was the type of guy that when you saw him at church or you saw him on the street or in the cafe, um, oh, he's such a great guy and he's so funny and fun. And then behind closed doors, he just, you know, he was hurt as a child as well. And that age old saying of hurt people, hurt people is a real thing. Um, I tried really hard to do things the healthy way. Um, throughout my time in high school and college, I've been through in 48 productions. Um, I was in acting and competitive acting and speech and tennis. I was in tennis for seven years. And so just really those things that originally you would try to use um, to kind of cope with life. And it just became really hard. And so on my 16th birthday, I had a group of friends that, you know, they use drugs and I was like, Oh, I've never done that. So the first time I ever used was on my 16th birthday. And I started with weed and a lot of people, you know, they say it's a gateway drug and it really is. Um, it's so emotionally addictive. And that's, that's my opinion because that's been my story. And I started with that in my junior year of high school, my parents separated it was probably the best thing that my mom did for us. Um, you know, it just, it wasn't healthy and he was still so sick. And um, so I would go to his apartment and I would steal his pain meds and I started selling drugs. I started using um, other, other pills. Um, and the first time that I ever used meth, I was 17. I was a senior in high school. And one of my friends was like, Hey, I know you and please don't use this alone because this drug will ruin your life. And I kind of laughed it off and, um, you know, through college and things like that, I'm using still. And, um, I was showing up to classes drunk and high and just cutting classes all together. Um, and <laughs> I ended up getting into a toxic relationship and, um, started using meth and my friend was right. It took six months. I had two jobs. I lost both my jobs. I lost my apartment. I dropped out of college um, it was a quick turnaround for me. And in the process of that, I was just in this horribly toxic relationship. And we ended up realizing that we were both using the same drug. And um, we turned to like, criminal activity. And so we did a string of 12 burglaries. And um, over a period of, you know, age 16 to 20, um, I was just I was using consistently. I went on the run to California two times. Um, my family had no idea where I was. I, you know, cut ties. It's, it's one of those things where if you're alone, it's easier to convince yourself that you're alone. And um, so 
yeah, that drug just, it took away everything good in my life. And um, I ended up going to jail when I was 19 and I turned 20. And then I went to jail exactly a year later. I was 20 and I turned 21. And um, I started seeing some of the same women coming back into the jail. And I looked at one of the correctional officers and I, I asked her, I was like, is this normal? Like all these women, I, I saw them a year ago. And she's like, yeah, actually we kind of know when we're going to see them. You know, some people come in twice a year, other people come in once a year, but we always know when uh, roughly we're going to see them. And I was like, that can't be me. Like I'm, I just turned 21 years old. I have so much life ahead of me. I don't want that. And so um, I ended up going to Teen Challenge. Um, it's Minnesota Dalton Teen Challenge now, but um, I ended up going there and I did the short-term program, the long-term program, and then they have a leadership institute. And I did that for a year after. Um, and God wasn't done with me. And so I actually worked there for six and a half years. Um, and then it's now been three years since I've worked there. But God has done amazing miracles in not just in my life, but in my family's. Um, my mom ended up getting a job at Teen Challenge. She's an RN. She's a nurse. And she got a job there when I was in the program. And when I went into the Leadership Institute, my, the Lord asked me if I wanted my brother back. No one had heard from him for months. And um, I prayed for him every single day for a year. And it was almost exactly a year later. And I was working at Teen Challenge. And these emails pop up that, you know, this person entered the program. And I, I saw his name on an email. And I was just so grateful and he's doing incredible he's been sober and he's married and has kids and um it's just been amazing what god has done and through that process i was able to forgive my dad um wholeheartedly forgive him and there's just been too many god stories to <laughs> tell about um but i get to continue to share that with people every day thank you for sharing that i i'm like Trying not to cry because <laughs> really, honestly, like it's po- it's possible. Yeah. You know, it's possible. Absolutely. And you know, yeah, I just I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we hear, you know, or the face and a name to addiction. And so thank you for being bold and for sharing that with us. Um would you tell I have like so many follow-up questions, but I'd love to hear Dan's story too, your husband Dan yeah absolutely journey is up like yeah yeah so he grew up in a wonderful family his parents are still just devout christians love the lord so much his dad is actually a pastor of a church in pine river um and that was recent but um he grew up with two older brothers he's the youngest of three boys and um i i love when he talks about his parents because sorry i'm getting emotional but it's just so not what i had his parents were so fair they would like buy all the boys the same gifts for everything you know and just like love them all so well and um so that's just something that's like really beautiful about his story um and when he was i think 12 um his uncle passed away tragically in a farming accident and he was just praying 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 for his uncle like lord save him lord save him and he didn't know that while he was praying, his uncle had already passed away. And so um, he was going to a Christian school at the time. And, um, you know, he was really hurt by his his uncle's passing. And he went back to school. And unfortunately, there were some kids who were making fun of the way his uncle died. And he overheard that. And so 
in his mind, he was like, if this is how Christians are going to act, I don't want any part of it. And he had accepted the Lord when he was like four years old. He just has this vivid memory of like telling the Lord he wanted to be in a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of around that time that, you know, he was upset with God, but really he was more upset with, with man and um, just found friends that accepted him for who he was. And at times that's people who are unhealthy. And um, he was in addiction for 17 years. Um, you know, he, he drank a lot. He, um, he did meth as well. And um, he, was, he was actually very successful in, you know, his work and things like that. Um, but he ended up getting raided um, by seven different drug task force agencies and he got arrested in front of his customers. He was a manager at AT&T and they pulled him out of the store and they raided his house and they didn't find anything. Um, he, I think had one other charge that he ended up going to jail for. And um, while he was there, he had the choice of, you know, executing his sentence or going to Teen Challenge. And originally, he wasn't going to go to Teen Challenge, um, but he had a night in his cell with the Lord, and he just cried out to God, and he was like, I don't want to live this way. And he said he spent all night on his knees crying, just repenting, just, you know, relieving his heart of all of these things that, like, the past years of just you know, wickedness and debauchery and, you know, any other gross word that you can think of that comes along with, with addiction. And, um, he stayed in jail longer than he had to because he was waiting for a bed to open when he was at teen challenge to get into teen challenge. And at first he was a little upset about it. Um, but the Lord really used it. There was a man that came in and he was friends with him and he actually got to lead him to the Lord. And then he went into Teen Challenge. So God just uses everything. And so he he went through the program in Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, and he went through the long-term program there. And then we ended up meeting at the Leadership Institute in Minneapolis. And um, we were just really good friends. We were on the worship team together. Um, he plays guitar, he sings. Um, and so we were really good friends. And um, it's funny because our everyone who meets us they're like you're just so wonderful together and our story did not start that way um i had a lot of emotional healing that needed to happen and so um while we were in the leadership institute um i right after i started working for the program and he was still there and so we just really respected those boundaries you know he was technically still a client um i had committed a year of my life to the lord that i wasn't going to date anyone and the day that he graduated he came to me and asked me where I saw our friendship going because it would be honoring to either of our future spouses if we just continued in the friendship that we had. Um, and so he waited for me and we started dating and I, again, just needed a lot of emotional healing. And so I did what every girl would do and I just like made it his fault. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I, I broke up with him and about a year and a half after that, the Lord just um, started bringing him into my life again. And I, I sat down with him and I apologized and I told him I was so sorry for everything and that I had found some really significant healing from the Lord in a beautiful time of prayer and um, wondered if he would give me a chance. And so then we started dating and that was December of 2016. And then we were engaged in March of 2017. So, 
Yeah. Wow, so cool. Um, you know, so as you're talking, this is not in my, I have like questions I want to ask. <laughs> it's not in those questions. That's okay. Um, how, you know, listening to your story, I, I, I could have easily been where you ended up and where Dan ended up. I could have easily, like, that could be me. Um, and so for me today, I, I guess I want to ask, like, in your experience being a Christian and with the, with the past that you have, how do you, like, what breaks your heart when you see, like, Christian community, like, responding to addicts? How can we, as Christians, like, um, love addicts better? I mean, I have lots of thoughts. I'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I actually, I taught a small session at a women's retreat with my mom um, quite a few years ago on this and how, how can the body come around people in addiction? And the most important thing is to love them where they're at. If they're seeking help, it's such a split second decision that it, it could last as long as two seconds for them to say, I need help. And then as soon as you walk away from them, they don't want help anymore. And that's, I mean, I lived, uh, you know, moments like that. And so I think just an unfortunate thing that happens is we get so comfortable where we are. We get so comfortable with our surroundings and, and with the people that are around us that when someone may stumble across our path, we're uncomfortable. And I think for me, the most beautiful times that I've ever had with God are always when I'm the most uncomfortable. He's always stretching me in those moments. He's always pushing me into those places of uncomfortability to know and trust that, okay, I'm hearing from you and I'm just going to take a step. And I think that's something that us as Christians struggle with. There's moments in my life that I still struggle with it, you know, and it's like, I feel this prompting to say, hey, how are you? And be genuine to someone knowing that maybe they're struggling or that they have been. And I just choose to walk away instead of ask. And so I guess to answer your question is to be willing to be uncomfortable in a situation where someone's asking for help or offering help, even if they didn't ask, right? And, and sometimes offering help is just being a genuine person to them and walking up and they're sitting by themselves and you've, you can clearly see that they're struggling and you just take a moment um, to be Jesus to them because I have moments like that that I could sit and tell you about numerous occasions where someone was just genuine enough to come and ask me, how are you doing? Or, uh, you know, when I turned in my teen challenge application, it was a split second decision. And that correctional officer that helped me, she's such a big part of my testimony that I get to tell. And it was like a five second interaction. So I think just being willing to set your yourself aside and see the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to the importance that we each know what our state offers too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like if and when you do build that relationship or come in contact with someone who is willing to get help they want to, or you're, you know, and I think too, like, yes, yes. Um, oh man, I have so many thoughts on this, but like, um, it might be that you're able to offer them, you know, a, 
uh, a number or you call for them for a facility or, or to get help for treatment or whatever. Yep. Also, it might be that they're not ready and that really just being Jesus is what you can do. And maybe they're not ready for help yet. And yep. I think I think it can be so easy for us to just um, downplay the importance of that, of that, yep. like, you know, you get to do that for them and be that. And like, that's huge. So, yeah. And sorry, just to that point, I realize not everyone is always going to know someone right? Like not everyone's always going to have that connection. Not everyone's going to have someone to turn to. Um, but my, so my brother, he worked for a diversion program and now he works for a huge network of recovery and it's called Kairos. And you can literally call on the phone and have an assessment with someone at that same moment to get you into a treatment center. Like there's places that offer that now in Minnesota, right? And it's like grown immensely over the last few years. So I would just encourage you, like find out what that is, whether it's near you or not, it doesn't matter. There's people who are willing to help in that type of community. So good. So good. That's awesome. And we'll link that after we're done too. So I'd love to hear now today, like how do you navigate sobriety? Like what, I have, and so you can take this in many ways. Like, how do you navigate sobriety? What does that look like? Really, even mean to you? And how do you and Dan in marriage maintain that? Yeah, definitely. So I'm gonna answer your last question first, and then go back. Um, in marriage, how do we maintain that? Um, we're open with each other. Um, we're constantly talking about things. We both know how important community is um, to staying sober. And it's both of us have felt this freedom in Jesus that when we think about like, okay, could I have a drink? Probably. But is it worth it? Like, what is the point of it for me? And I know the answer for myself and he knows the answer for him, his self. And so for me, I'm kind of one of those all in type of people. So I'm all into Jesus and I would be just all into whatever it is that I put myself into. And so I don't want to do that to myself. So just because I could doesn't mean I should. And the end result of it would just be so disastrous to not just my marriage, but my family and my friends. And like, there's just, you know, to every person, there's like 30 people behind them, right? Because it impacts family and impacts children and, and friends and right. And so I think that's something that, I mean, I know and trust that I've been set free from my addiction and I know and trust that my husband has too. And that's not to say that either of us are just one decision away from going back. And, but that's just who we are as people, right? And anyone is in that situation. Anyone is one decision away from something, right? Yeah. Um. So I think that's really a big part of it for us is like navigating what does community look like and are we spending time in the word? Are we spending time to worship together? Are we, you know, praying together at night? Are we praying over our son? Are we doing things to continue to just grow our marriage in depth instead of like, there's times I feel like you grow wider with people. um, But in my marriage, I would much rather grow deeper. And so um, knowing that like we kind of grew wide years ago when we met, um, going deeper is really important for us. Um, 
And then just to circle back to the biggest part of sobriety, I, I will always say, and this will always be my answer, community. A hundred times over community. If you are alone and you aren't sharing with anyone and you are staying by yourself, you will 100% of the time convince yourself of something, whether it's good or bad. And um, I don't know, there's like um, this video of a herd of cattle being hunted by a lion and they never attack when you're in a pack. And it's always when like the few stragglers start to separate that they just attack. And it's such a beautiful picture of what scripture says, right? Um, Be sober-minded and be vigilant. Our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And it's so true. And just that battle in your mind, that battle in your emotions, if you're not actually saying those things out loud to anyone, then you're allowing them power over you. So the moment that you say it out loud is the moment that you're giving it less power. And if the moment that you speak God's word over you is the moment you're actually giving power to that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. It does. That's, that's good. And I'm, I'm just taking notes. Um, and I hear you. I hear you saying that there's like certain things. It's another one of my questions of like, what, how do you and your, how do you and Dan like safeguard your marriage from addiction and i think it is really sobering to hear you say like hey yeah each and every one of us is one decision away from some bad decision potentially right and like that sounds really fearful and yet it should be it should cause us to think that what was the verse that you just mentioned again yeah be sober-minded and vigilant on one hand it's like scary to hear yep we're all one decision away however also like like you say, I can trust that my husband, knowing all of his history and all that he's chosen to do to get and stay sober, I can trust that that is his heart as well, right? That he is yeah. pursuing the Lord just like I am. And in these ways, he also wants to stay vigilant and intentional and does not want to open himself, you, your marriage or your family back up either. Yeah. You know, like we can, we can put our hope in that, right? Um, yes. Yeah. And, and trust that the Lord has us in whatever that may look like. Um, and I hear you said community, intentionality. I can't read my notes. Um, intentionally growing in your marriage community, the word, worship, praying together, praying as a family over your son. I mean, those, those are like ways you are practically walking that life and this journey out of sobriety and recovery. And that is so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, community being the one thing you said, the biggest part of sobriety is community. Absolutely. And we just had the, one of the, um, he is with covenant eyes. I can't remember his exact position or his title. Um, he said the exact same thing, you know, whether it's porn addiction, a substance addiction and whatever you name it. Um, community is, the path to sobriety. And so that's just a really good reminder for all of us. There's many of us out there watching, listening who wives who I hear this all the time that, you know, my husband isn't interested in growing his faith and he isn't interested in this or that. And 
it's just all the more reason for you then to get plugged in somewhere. If he's not willing, you get plugged in. Um, here's a question for you, Emma. Um, what would you say to the wife who questions her husband is dealing with an addiction, but he denies it? Um, you might not have an answer, but no, it's the toughest answer that that anyone can hear. And you know, I wouldn't be doing anyone any any favors by just not answering the question. So, no lip service. This is just brutally honest. The most unfortunate thing about addiction is that it's a personal decision. You cannot get sober for your wife, your husband, your kids, your mom, your dad. You cannot get sober for anyone but yourself. And when I was working for Teen Challenge, I worked in the admissions department for a little while. And there was a dad that called me every single day for two months straight. And I mean, every single day. And he's like, please help my daughter. Please help my daughter. And I'm like, I want nothing more than to help your daughter. Let me pray with you because she's just not ready. And so it's the most unfortunate thing. But the best thing that you can do is you can pray for them. You can pray that God opens their eyes. You can pray that God opens their heart. You can pray that, um, you know, everything that's in the darkness will come to light. And these are promises in God's word, right? That, that nothing is hidden from him, not nothing is hidden from him. And so in those moments where you're feeling just disparity and you're, you're sitting alone, first of all, find someone and pray with them and ask them to pray for you but pray for your spouse pray for them they need that more than anything because there was those times in my life where it it wasn't necessarily my spouse but my family prayed for me through all of these years and there i'm an answer to prayer in their life right and um i prayed with this dad for two months straight and i wish that i could say after the second month like his daughter was there but I will say that it was two years later and she came into the program and she's incredible. She gave her life to the Lord. Right. And it's, it was on her time. And I say her time because there's times in addiction where there's nothing but selfishness. That's what addiction is. It's selfishness. And the other thing that I'll say is that God's timing is perfect and there's nothing lost on his timeline. So even though you may be stuck in a selfish timeline with someone, there's always God's timing. And, you know, I I think back to times when I would be at churches giving my testimony and moms would come up and say, why you and not my kid? Why did God save you and not save my kid? And the only thing that I could do is say, I'm sorry, you know, and, and I wish that I had a better answer, but I don't. And God's plan is God's plan and his purpose is his purpose and his timing is his timing. And so regardless of how difficult it is for any one of us in any one of those processes, he's good enough to trust. Mm, It's so good. It's so good. And it's so hard. You can't, the most unfortunate thing about addiction is you can't get sober for someone else. Yeah. One of the prayers that um, I've prayed many times with wives is actually just like, Lord, ex- like you said, bring into the light, whatever's hidden, whatever's yeah. in the dark, just expose the darkness as painful as it is and do whatever you need to do, Lord, to do that. Um, yeah. And 
it's a scary yet like so needed necessary thing right um absolutely yeah um how about any like current craving struggles like i know that this can sound all pretty like yeah you know, like yeah we and maybe it is maybe maybe you have nothing <laughs> <laughs> Would I be human if I had nothing? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like sometimes, like with conversations like this, you can be like, and so we're good. See you later. Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, but like, really? Like, really? Like, you know, so I'm curious. What's the, what's the yuck still of today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I feel, okay, so I've been sober for 11 years and my husband's been sober for 11 years and it's not that we like think about going back to our addictions by any means, but I think there's just those, those emotional struggles, right? Where it's like, I want to hide this emotion. I want to bury this emotion. I don't want to process this thought. I would rather sit in it for a little longer than like bring it to him or bring it to the Lord or bring it to both of them, right? Regardless of what it is, whether it's about our, you know, marriage or whether it's about work or life or how difficult kids can be sometimes. My son is incredible, but there are just those moments where you're like, there's a reason there's two of us, okay? <laughs> there's a reason. And um, just so, makes me so grateful for him in those moments. And I think really the struggle of life is just that. It's the struggle of life. It doesn't matter where you go. There's going to be people that, they sharpen you and iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. And unfortunately, sharpening hurts a lot, right? There's those personalities that you're like, okay, I just, I'm being, I'm being ground down to nothing. And if I'm not in prayer, if I'm not genuinely asking God multiple times a day, how can I do this? What is the wisdom that you have for me? I'm not going to be the person that I want to be. And I fail at it a lot. Like, trust me, a lot. Um, I just came out of a really difficult job. Um, and it was a place where, you know, you would, they would say, I want to hear your voice. And then they didn't actually listen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's difficult. It's really difficult, especially in that sense of pride that wells up in you that you're like, but I know what the answer is. Um, and so, I feel like that's really what God's been working on me over this last year and a half. It's like, Emma, set down your pride. Set down whatever thought that you have of yourself because, you know, they're not, they're not, they may not be listening to you, but you're also not like entering into this in a way that they're going to listen either. Right. So like, there's like those selfish moments of me. Um, and I feel like I'm finally coming out of it thinking, okay, God, I'm, I want to be out of a season where all day long, I'm just begging for you in a way that is selfish. And I want to, I want you to restore the joy of intimacy and relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And in those spots where I just think back of like 11 years ago, I was the one who was just broken before him, right? begging him to take my addiction, begging him to take all of these toxic relationships and just asking for forgiveness to wash over me. And 
that was just a short time ago. Like 11 years, it's not that long if you think about it. Like it is, it's a good amount of time. But just those times in life where it's like, I just have to be willing to be broken before him again and just ask for forgiveness to just wash over me. Mm, that's good. I do. Is this what I hear you saying? Because this could not or possibly is not. But you mentioned like the emotional struggles. If you want to hide, bury, not have to process through something, kind of like yeah. hard things, situations, all of, all of that. Is that when you feel the pull to use? Or is that just something you say, like, I just noticed that, like, that's a challenge for me. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I can honestly say I have not felt the desire to use for probably 10 years. Wow. So it was really like that first year out. And like I said, like, I was all in. I know that Jesus Christ set me free from my addiction. And I know that. And there's times where... I will, I will always tell that, but there's times where it's difficult to, because I know that people really, really, really struggle. And I know that I've struggled. And so I never want to downplay it by saying like, I was set free, but I genuinely was set free in my addiction. My husband was genuinely set free in his addiction. Like we just, we don't think about using at all. Like we go out to dinner with friends that don't know that we used to use and they're, you know, they may have a drink or two and it's like, nothing there's nothing there like no draw or pull to it whatsoever um but to your point is life is messy and us sitting and talking about like all these incredible things that god has done that's not to say that there's not a lot of messy stuff in between and so those moments of like emotional struggles i i think especially as women it's hard because you want to find connection you want to find a friendship that is worth going deeper in, but you don't always want to be exposed. Does that make sense? And so like as a wife, as a as a woman in friendship, like how can I encourage women to go back to their husband and say, this is how I was honestly feeling in the midst of this fight or this discussion or this, you know, heated moment. And I need you to know what I was feeling so that we can process it together. Because it's messy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would like, okay, I have like so many things. How about serving? You mentioned that you and your husband serve together and that's one like beautiful way that like the Lord just something that just obviously for you as a couple has been huge. Yeah. And in sobriety, like to, to walk that path together, what does yeah. that look like and what has that done for your marriage? Yeah, great question. Um, so we lead worship together. Um, we lead now a little less often than we than we did before, but um, we we sing together. We actually have um, recorded some songs together. Um, we wrote and recorded an album with a friend of ours who is also in sobriety. Um, and so music is a really beautiful way to a get all the ick out and b allow all the goodness of God into you. Um, and it, it happens all at the same time. So I love that about worship. And I know that not everyone is like, I know that that's not everyone's sweet spot with the Lord, um, but it certainly is for Dan and I. So we love to worship. Um, he's also the youth pastor in our church. And so we actually, um, that's a new development. He's been the youth pastor for two years. 
Um, he's going to full-time seminary right now for his master's. And so we've been serving the youth together um, for five years. And so we serve high school. He serves high school and middle school. Um, and then we also serve the young adults group at our church. And we open our home to them and we allow them to come to our house once a week. We have different groups of young adults that come like once a week. Um, and, you know, if, if the youth ever want to come to you, it works out really well because both of us are here. So it's really that place where they can come and be themselves. And there's never like any, you know, there's just good structure around it. Um, and so we do that. Um, my husband does Bibles and breakfast at the high school in Coon Rapids. Um, so during the school year, he goes every Wednesday morning and does that. Um, I actually still serve at Teen Challenge by leading worship every once in a while. Um, so I get to do that. And um, I just, I feel like there's so many things that we get to do together, but there's also things that we get to do apart. And so those times when we're doing it together, I feel like it really strengthens us. And then, and it fills us. And then there's those times where it's important to do things outside of one another as well. And so knowing and trusting that we're also serving outside of our marriage, it really, it almost gives a stronger truth to what we're doing for God, with God, when we're together, because it's a genuine heart, right? Like, it's not just, oh, I serve, I serve with my husband. It's like, I serve because God's calling me to, and then we get to serve together because he's called us into this marriage. So does that, does that answer your question? It does. It does. I like it. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh... Here's a question for you that I thought of as you were talking. Um, now that you are, I would say, you know, like what you said, the Lord has freed you from addiction. Do you ever sense now, you know, being in recovery and just where you are in your life? Do you ever feel the pressure as a Christian woman to hide your past? Hmm. Good question. Um, I don't ever feel the necessity to hide it, but I certainly know like time and place, if that makes sense. Like I'm not going to walk into a new job and be like, Hey, I used to be a meth addict and I have four felonies, but I'm also not going to be dishonest about it or like lie by omission. The people in my life know that I have a past because I do have four felonies. So there's no hiding that. And honestly, there's that part of scripture that I just, I, I've continued to carry with me because, um, you know, when you're a teenager and people are like, be careful what you do because you know, your life now is going to affect you as an adult. Well, I put it to the test, right. In my addiction, unfortunately, and they were right. So all of you folks who told me that you were right. Mm -hmm. I, I trust you now, unfortunately I learned the hard way, but, um, you know, having four felonies has been, has been really, difficult at times um i've had to go through lots of hoops um jumping and ducking and some of them are on fire and um the lord had me where he had me and because of him i was able to you know stay at team challenge um but i had to ask for them to like turn over their decision um because of my felonies to allow me to work with um you know the clients there and then i went to a new job and i just said hey i want to be honest with you I'm not that person. I'm not who I was. I'm certainly someone new. And I just want you to know that I have some things in my past. And my boss at the time, he just looked at me and he was like, I don't care what you did. I just love, I love who you are now. And I want you to work here. And so I was like, I cannot 
tell you how much I appreciate that heart, but I'm going to tell you what I did so that you're never taken off guard by it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like there's those moments, like, especially when you're with Christians where sometimes they just look at you and they're like, I know you now. And like, you're so wonderful. And I'm like, yeah. And then I tell them my story and they're like, there's no way that's you. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's you. And there's those moments that they make me feel proud of the work that I did with God. And then there's those moments where I'm like, but it really was right. Like it really was who, who I was then. And so I guess to answer your question, I don't ever really feel the need to hide it. Um, because it's not mine to hide. It's actually about glorifying what God has done in my life. And if I can do that just by saying, Hey, I was a meth addict and now I'm not. And the reason is Jesus Christ that I'm never going to stop saying. It. Yes. That's what I was thinking you were going to say. And I was hoping you were <laughs> <laughs> because you shouldn't be right. I mean, again, I think it's really nice and it feels really comfortable to yeah. see someone in sober, in recovery, sober today. It's really like, yeah, this is that was like my past life, which is true, and like all the glory to God for that freedom and for saving you from that and freeing you from it. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I think it's important too to to like. Well, obviously, it's the word of our testimony, right? That is. Yeah so important and like so to never be afraid of sharing that and also to not forget that there are other emmas in the world that aren't sober yet yeah and so can we are we willing to love them when they're not sober yet like right. are we willing to fill in the blank right open our doors help yeah. provide a need care for love sit with listen to yeah whatever um whatever that looks like before they're on the other side of their addiction you know and i just i'm challenged by that i hope we're all challenged by that and um i think also for wives watching i hope you're encouraged by listening to emma and dan's story because because they both walked through addiction and the lord has delivered both of them again on his timing yeah. And we had to personally make that decision to want to get help, which is such, such, such a painful thing because we can't, we can't make somebody get help. We can't yeah. force somebody to go to treatment. You just can't. And you have to, you have to let them want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just, there's so much hope in your story and encouragement. And so I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful for you sharing and, is there anything else that you want to share that maybe we haven't talked about? Yeah. So actually, as I was kind of thinking through, you know, what we were going to talk about tonight and um, just like what, what type of verse popped out to me and I was praying through the question of like, what is sobriety or like, what is, you know, being sober mean to you? Um, and in first Peter one verses 13 um, to 16, um, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Um, And it just, it really spoke to me as far as, you know, what does it mean to be sober? And I feel like there's always this 
thought of like obedience can be so difficult, but I've never felt more free than being obedient to Christ and being in the will of what he has for me and knowing that it doesn't matter what life throws at me. I'm in his will. And, you know, I'm trusting that I'm not going to fall back and be conformed to the passions of my former ignorance, right? Like ignorance is not bliss. It is not bliss. I promise you. And I just feel like there's times in our life when you feel like maybe something is going on, right? Like maybe you feel like your spouse is using, maybe you feel like there's just something going on and you decide to look the other way. I promise you that those moments for as long as you look away will be more hurtful than just stepping up to the plate and walking through the pain. And as far as someone who's in addiction right now, I always used to tell the clients, a teen challenge because it was so helpful. I told myself all the time and I'm like, this is something that helped me. All you have to do is walk through your pain with Jesus one more time. Mm. Like I was walking through the pain of things with my dad for years and years and years. I didn't tell a single person until I got to teen challenge about what had happened with my dad. And so all of those years that I walked through it, I just had to walk through it one more time with Jesus and then I was able to let it go. I was able to forgive him. And, you know, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that it's okay, but it allows me the freedom to give it to God and trust that the rest is up to him. Mm-hmm. And so just remembering like all of the pain that you have, you just have to walk through it one more time with Jesus. And then it's a lot less painful afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. I have a lot of notes. <laughs> um, okay, any last words to... I know that was just like so... You just kind of spoke to the spouse a little bit, like wondering, you know, is my spouse dealing with something? What about the spouse who has a spouse or is struggling? Um, who, who is struggling, it's known. Um, I don't know any anything come to mind like they're just in the pit right now yeah um i i hate to be cliche it's not cliche because it's god right but it doesn't matter where you are he's with you right you can be in the highest mountain you can be in the lowest valley and there's nowhere you can run from his love and i just feel like I know for a fact, every person is always looking for something. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing, right, to just let go and try with God, like for me, I, I tried out patient and I wasn't ready. Like I, tr- you know, I went to jail. Like I wish that me telling you that I was in jail for five and a half months was enough to keep me sober. And it was not like, there's just those moments in life where, you know, and, and the term that people use is rock bottom. And I thought I hit my rock bottom and then I fell straight through it. So if you've tried everything else, just give them a shot. Like try doing it with Jesus. And that small glimmer of light, you can just, he can, the amount of light that shines through tiny cracks is just enough to get you through the dark room. So 
in those moments of like, I just can't do this anymore. Just try with Jesus. Try with Jesus. Thank you. Would you mind? Well, also, before we get done, you are working on a tell us about your prayer rhythms and like what God has asked you to do. Yeah. So I am in the process of writing and publishing a prayer book. Um, it's like 30 days of prayer. Um, for probably the last two or three years, once a week, I just have friends. I have people on my mind and I take time in the morning and I read through a scripture and I write a prayer and then I text it to all of them. And sometimes it's the same people. Sometimes there's, you know, more added, less added, things like that. Um, and so people have always told me like, oh, you should write a prayer book. Like, these are so great. And I'm like, no, like, I don't want it to be about me. I, I like genuinely the Lord is putting on my heart. And so probably over the last two months, God has been encouraging me to do this. And so I put it all out and I typed it all into like a, a format and I'm having a good friend of mine, um, um, editing it right now. And so it's in the really beginning stages, but, um, I'm really excited about it. I think prayer is just, it's the easiest thing you can do for someone, but it's the most powerful thing that you can do for someone. And I pray for my husband and I pray for our marriage every morning. And I tell him every day when I get to work, I'm praying for us. And there's times where I like list a prayer. And there's times where I tell him like, I'm praying the fruits of the spirit over us, or I'm praying healing over you, or, you know, I'm praying protection over our marriage, whatever it is. And sometimes he gets a prayer and sometimes he gets a snippet, but he knows that that's what I'm doing. I'm devoting my time to praying for us, to praying for what God is doing through us and how he can impact the people around us. And so um, I'm just, I'm really passionate about prayer (laughs) and I I'm one of those people who firmly believes in like someone's telling you something and like, I could really use prayer for this. Instead of saying like, I'm going to pray for you. I stop right there and I pray for them in that moment. And then I continue to pray for them when I'm not around them. And so that practice of just like giving my time right then and there, it really speaks to someone as far as you care enough to pray for me right now. And sometimes it takes people off guard and other times you're like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Like I finally got the courage to tell someone this and like, you're willing to do it right now. So, um, her just takes you places. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Cause everybody like, yes. And when that comes out, you have to let me know so that we can, yes. we can share about it. And I would love to. That. Um, that's awesome. I'm proud of you for doing that and, and obeying. It's easy to not, it's easy to not do it. Yeah. And <laughs> yay to you. So. Yeah. Oh God, and thanks for being obedient to him. Um, and speaking of prayer, would you please pray over the wives in their marriages, watching, listening? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Heavenly Father, we we come to you tonight and we trust that you're changing us. Whether we want to or not, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to you, that we would be willing to have our ears attentive to you turn our hearts to you god your word says that if we ask for wisdom that you are more than willing to give it to us and so we just pray right now we pray for wisdom pray for wisdom over the wives that are struggling um, with their own addiction i pray for wives that are struggling with a spouse that's an addiction and i pray for those who are 
have been in addiction and are sober, that they would just continue to have the wisdom to walk it out, God. There's those moments in life where we just, we have to turn to you. And so I just pray for those wives who are in that moment right now. God, speak to us. And I just pray protection over the women who are listening to this, God. Your protection, your protection is just, it's incredible. And so the more that we pray for your you to be in our lives, the more that we're transformed. And so I just pray that our hearts would be focused on you and that we would just be overturned by the joy that you give us, Lord. And as I talked about earlier, I just pray that you would restore the joy of intimacy in our relationships with you, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Emma. Thank you for being, again, giving your time, starting a new job tomorrow. And uh, thank Dan for us, too, for letting you share with us. And then also just for letting you share his story, too. And thanks again for being with us, Emma. Thanks for being with us, everyone. And we will be seeing you soon. Absolutely. Thank Thank you.